0: Kids, you're dismissed for Children's Church, and the rest of us can take our Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 20. Now, we're continuing our series through the book of Judges, and the series has been entitled Judges, Losing Sight of God, and certainly that's a description of what we see in this text. Starting at chapter 19, it gets dark. When we look at what has happened, what the children of Israel have become, it's disheartening. And when we looked at chapter 19 last week and we saw the account of a Levite who pushed his concubine out the door to be savaged by some men in Gilead and then to callously walk past her in the door frame and say, get up, let's go, to discover that she's dead, and then, worse yet, to take her body and dismember it and send one part of her body to each of the tribes of Israel. It's at a low. And we look at this and we think, well, you know, it can't get much lower than this. And then we come to chapters 20 and 21. And what we find in this is a path toward vengeance and it's really a lesson to us all that vengeance isn't something for us to seek, that we need to rely upon the Lord and trust in Him to take vengeance when a wrong occurs. What we find in this text, really, is an object lesson for us of the terrible path that vengeance can lead toward. Now, sometimes we look at vengeance and we don't think much of it. We kind of look at it, and in our own twisted sense of what's right and wrong, we say, well, they got what they deserved when revenge is taken. You know, there's a story of a man who went to a doctor. He had been bitten by a rabid dog, and this was during a time when there was no treatment for rabies. The doctor said to the man, I'm sorry, you're going to have to Just start writing your will. So he hands the man a piece of paper and a pen, and the man starts writing, and he's writing, and he's writing, pages and pages. The doctor says, wow, that's quite a will. And he said, oh, it's not a will. It's a list of the people I planned to bite. (laughs) Vengeance. But here's the thing. Vengeance is not proper. It's not good. It's not in keeping with who God is. Sir Francis Bacon said this, the noted philosopher and jurist and chancellor of England in the early 1600s, and he said this, "'Revenge is a kind of wild justice, which the more man's nature runs to it, the more the law ought to weed it out. Certainly in taking revenge a man is but even with his enemy, but in passing over it he is superior.' For it is the prince's part to pardon. Revenge is something that movies make millions off of. It's something that we find ourselves easily drawn into. As I've watched some of my guilty pleasure, the old westerns, where the hero rides in and executes justice, I've actually caught myself saying, Yeah, kill him, kill him. And I recognize that I'm being caught up in a way of thinking that is contrary to what God wants of His people. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, the Scripture says this, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. So what transpires here in Judges chapter 20? When we come to this 20th chapter, we find people who are relying on their own ideas about what is just. Remember a common phrase that's repeated again and again and again in the book of Judges, particularly in this second half of the part of the book of Judges. What we find is this statement, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And certainly that comes into play when it comes to revenge that takes place and that is outlined for us in these closing two chapters. And what we find as we begin to look at this account of revenge is that revenge blinds us to what is just. passage that was read during the Scripture reading this morning is a recount of what transpired in chapter 19. If you remember, after this Levite had taken the body parts of this concubine who had been raped and murdered by the men of Gilead. He did that to precipitate this feeling of justice and vengeance on the part of Israel. And so they all gathered in a place called Mitzvah. And there in Mitzvah, he recounts the story, but he leaves out some pretty significant parts. When you read those first 10 verses of chapter 20, we find that he's accurate in talking about how the men of Gilead had assembled and had planned to do him in, when in reality they were planning on raping him. He shares with them that they had killed his concubine, but he neglects to say that he pushed her out the door and served her up to these people to be abused throughout the night. And he did this, I believe, with a purpose. And his purpose was to raise the ire of all of Israel so that as a people, they would turn on the people of Gilead and exact revenge. And here's the problem with revenge. When we see a wrong When we see something that transpires that isn't just and isn't right, sometimes we don't have all of the information and we go off making a decision not based on what is just, but only what we know about what is just. We are incapable of making decisions apart from God. When I choose to take vengeance in my own flesh, Motivated by my own desires, only with the information that I've received, I can be totally misdirected. And really, that's what takes place here. What we're going to see transpire is this, as these people form this opinion about how to best right the wrong that was done, they wind up doing things that were even more evil than the men of Gilead. It escalates. It causes thousands of deaths. And their revenge does not accomplish the purpose or the work of God at all. So what we find in this text is a group of people taking matters into their own hands, choosing to become a lynch mob, not people seeking to do what was right. You know, the Word of God teaches us very clearly in Romans Chapter 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then these words, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, this is an important text for us as believers When somebody wrongs me, everything in my core and in my being says, I've got to get even. It's natural for us. But you know what we find? Those who commit themselves to trying to make a wrong right eventually become the very thing that they're trying to stamp out. When we do things that are right in our own eyes... And according to our own purpose, rather than trusting God and allowing God to be God, when we usurp the position of God to move toward revenge, we will fall into evil. It will always happen. So here the Word of God is telling us to avoid that, to stay away from it. Look at the 10th verse. Here's the crux of what they're planning. We will take ten men of every hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel and a hundred of a thousand and a thousand of ten thousand to bring provisions for the people that we will come, uh, that when they come, they may, now look at this, repay Gilead of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. Revenge. That was their purpose. That was their goal. But then the text moves on. And as we come to the next part of this story, we find something else. Refusing to punish, then defending evil, destroys a community. We find that when the people of Israel went to the people of Gilead and Benjamin as a whole and said, look, this is what some people from Gilead, one of the cities in the tribe of Benjamin, this is what they've done And we want you as a tribe to deal with your own people. Turn them over to us that we may execute them for what they've done. That was their plan. That was their purpose. But look in the Word of God at the response that the people of Benjamin have. It says, And the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin saying, What evil is this? that has taken place among you. Verse 13, Now therefore, give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. And then look at this, but the Benjamites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Do you catch what's going on? Rather than looking and saying, you know what they did deserves justice. What they did deserves repayment. They hung on to those who had perpetrated evil and in a sense became enablers. I would submit to you that the people in Gibeah and in the surrounding communities knew what was going on in Gibeah before this happened with the concubine. Those men who decided to gang rape The concubine, I don't believe this was their first incident. As a matter of fact, when you read the story in chapter 19, what do you find? You find that there was another man from Ephraim, and he said, don't stay in the square, knowing what kind of men resided in Gibeah. And here's the problem. When we become enablers, when we look at evil and we don't deal with evil in God's way, righteously, but look the other way and allow it to be perpetrated, we, in essence, are complicit with the people who are perpetrating evil. What Benjamin was committed to was tribalism. We'll take care of the people in our tribe and don't you mess with them. That's really the thrust of what was going on. Now, loyalty is a good thing, But loyalty that disregards what is right and loyalty that allows evil to continue and to perpetuate itself is something that should not be allowed and should not be done. So here, the people of Israel are doing this. And you know, as I looked at this, I thought to myself, how often do I make decisions based on my connection with a person rather than what is right and what is wrong? When somebody that I am frustrated with does something that's wrong, I'm ready to jump to conclusions. When somebody that I really like does something wrong, I'm ready to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's something that's very easy for us to do as human beings. But listen, when we look at evil and we give evil a pass, we fall into evil ourselves. A perfect study within just a couple of generations of our own was what Hitler did in Germany. Building on the feeling of nationalism, he murdered millions of Jews. And many, even within the church, did not resist. They looked on with approval. We don't want to be like the people of Benjamin. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. And we don't defend the indefensible. We don't tolerate the intolerable. But then we come to the 17th verse. And as we come to the 17th verse, we find that there is a gathering of forces. The people of Benjamin saw that all of Israel had gathered at mitzvahs, so they start getting their people together for war. All of the rest of Israel finds that the people of Benjamin are getting their people ready for war, so we're getting ready for war as well. And I want you to think about the ramifications of this. One woman dies in Gibeah, and now thousands will die because of the sin of the people of Israel and because of the sin of the people of Benjamin. There is a war that's building, and this war is going to bring about disaster. You see, what we find, this thing just jumped about three slides ahead, sorry about that. There we go. What we find is this. When we have reasoning based on false assumptions, we will never find justice. And what we find as we look into this text is this. As... The people of Benjamin and the people of Israel gather together. They are coming to a place. To where there is war. And I would encourage you when you go home. Read this section of the book of Judges chapter 20. And look at what transpires. And what we find is this. The people of Israel decided. Now that I see Benjamin building up its forces. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go to war with them. And here's something that is conspicuously absent. In their decision to go to war. To war. Against the people of Benjamin, there is no mention of seeking God. As a matter of fact, what we find is this. They had made a decision to go and punish the people of Benjamin. And then, after reaching that decision, they asked God for help. You know, as I look at this, I wonder, how many times have I made a decision and then sought God on a matter It's awfully easy for us to make decisions unilaterally and then assume that God is with us in that decision. But what we find here are the people of Israel making this decision to go and enact revenge on people of Israel as well, the people of Benjamin. And what we'll see is what transpires as a result of this is alarming. We find in this text that the people of Israel make this decision, then they come together and they go against this tribe of Benjamin, and you know what happens? Even though the people of the tribe of Benjamin are grossly outnumbered, they prevail. There are three skirmishes that take place. In the first skirmish, thousands of Israelites die. So what do they do? When they look at the result of this attack, and they look and they see their failure, then they consult with the Lord. They assumed that, hey, God is with us, we're doing God's work and killing all of these Benjamites, so of course we'll prevail. But they never sought God. Then, upon their failure, they do. And what's amazing is this. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, it says, The people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God who shall go up first to fight against the people of Benjamin. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Now, God didn't say, Go and do it. God didn't say, I am with you as you do it. God just said, Which tribe would go? By the way, kind of an interesting bracket. When you look in the first chapter of Judges, verse 2, when Israel was to take over the land... Judah was the first tribe that was to go and take over the land. Now, this bracket at the close of the book of Judges, we find Judah, once again, they were to lead the charge in going against the Benjamites. But here's the thing. They were going in their own strength and their own power. And as a result, failure. Twice. Tens of thousands of lives were lost. There were bitter defeats. But then, look at this story, and what we find is this. After the second defeat, where still thousands of people were lost, it says in verse 24, the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day, and the people of Benjamin went out against them in Gibeah on the second day and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. And all of these were men who drew the sword. And then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. And they sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord... For the ark of the covenant of God was in there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go up once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? Finally, they're at a place to where they're saying, Hey, God, if you're not in this, we don't want to be. And look at the Lord's response. And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. Finally... After two failures and a lot of lost lives, the people of Israel humbled themselves before God and offered to stop what they had done. You know, again, I look at my life and I see times that I run ahead of God, that rather than seeking God, I will presume that I've made the right decision that I'm on a path, that I'm on a track that is the right path, the right track, because it's right in my eyes. As believers, we need to seek God's purpose, God's plan, God's will. Not running ahead, not determining in our own hearts what is right and what is just and what is good, but allowing what God has revealed in His Word to guide us in our decisions the people of Israel, were not doing that until finally they came to the place to where they sought God. And when they did, God gave them the guidance that they needed. But then we see a turn. Although God delivered the people into the hands of these Israelites, what we find is this. Man and his bloodlust took it too far. When we look at the account, it was brilliant the way Israel chose to take down the people of Gibeah. The Benjamites were all inside the town of Gibeah, behind the walls. They would come out, they would fight the children of Israel... And then at day's end, after thousands of Israelites had died, they'd go back into the city. So this time, the people of Israel drew them out, went in to Gibeah while they were out doing battle, and overtook the city. And God did just what He said He was going to do, because look at verse 36. So the people of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. Well, the battle goes on, and again, I encourage you, go back into the Word of God. Look at the details that are given about this battle. But after the people of Benjamin were defeated, the children of Israel didn't leave it there. They didn't stop and say, we've accomplished what God sent us to do, overtaking these wicked people who were in Gilead, Look at verse 48. It says here that the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword. The city, men and beasts, and all that they found, and all the towns that they found, they set on fire. Here's the thing with vengeance. Vengeance doesn't just seek to get even. Vengeance leads us to the place of anger, to where eventually we go beyond what we had originally intended to do. And we get so caught up in the anger and in the vengeance that we take it to a level that it ought not to go. And that's what the people of Israel did And killing and committing genocide and wiping out an entire tribe of the people of God that was their goal. Now they went past what God had given them to do. You know, there are times when God will lead us to do something, but then we go well beyond what God has called us to do, we add our own insight our own ideas to what God has said in His Word or to what God has told us in our heart to do. And it becomes destructive. That's what happens here. Imagine one concubine murdered by the people of of, of Gibeah and now tens of thousands of Israelites lie dead as a result of retribution. And now an entire town, men, women, children, animals, completely slaughtered in response. Was this of God? No, it was people moving beyond what God had allowed them to do, taking matters in their own hands, doing what was right in their own eyes. They carried it too far. And you know, what's intriguing is this, when we come to the final chapter of Judges, we find that there's an awareness on the people of Israel that they had taken it too far. But they refused to change course even when they recognized it. Look at the 21st chapter And key in on what the Word of God is saying here. It says, Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mitzpah, not one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. So here's their pact. We are going to swear before God that not only will we kill as many Benjamites as we can, but we intend to not give any of our daughters to Benjamin so that as a tribe... They will be no more. That's taking something that God intended, the, the tribes to exist and to have a portion in the land that is going well outside of what God had revealed as His purpose and His plan for the people of Israel. They not giving daughters to Benjamin would have meant the extinction, the extinction of Benjamin. And how unfortunate would it have been to have an extinct Benjamin? Because in the New Testament, we find a passage of Scripture that talks about the Apostle Paul coming from the tribe of Benjamin, reminding us that he was of that tribe. God preserved Benjamin, but it was in spite of the children of Israel. So look at what they come up with. And this is amazing. Rather than repenting and saying, you know, we went over the top. We decided to make a pact against the people of Benjamin rather than looking at that and saying we were wrong and going God's path in being released from the vow that they had made. God made provisions for that in His law. They stayed the course. We're not going to repent, we're going to fix this, not in God's way but in what's right in our own eyes. So look at what happens in this story as a result of that decision. Verse 2, chapter 21. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? Do you catch what they're doing here? They're blaming God when it's all on them. And then it goes on and it says this, and the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, which of the tribes of Israel did not come up against the assembly of the Lord? For they had taken a greater oath concerning Him who did not come up to the Lord, to Mitzpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. So here they find a solution. There was one group that didn't join the others in going against Benjamin. Look at verse 6. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their brother, and said, one tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for the wives of those who are left? Now, here's what had happened. There were 600 surviving Benjamites. And they're holed up in a rock. And now the people of Israel are looking at that and they're saying, oh, we, we... We overdid it. We almost wiped out the tribe of of Benjamin. How are we going to fix this? Well, here's how we do it. Any group that didn't join us in the battle and go against the Benjamites, we said we would kill. So here's what we're going to do, and I'll summarize the rest of the text for you. We're going to go against this town, It did not send any of its people. And we're going to kill anyone in that town that isn't a virgin. And we're going to give their virgin daughters to the Benjamites so that they can have wives. So think about this. (laughs) They're doing what is right in their own eyes. meant the death and the extinction of almost an entire tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, right? And now it meant the extinction of a city that was in Israel. And they're choosing to slaughter men and women who refuse to join in the battle. Why? Not in honoring the promise like they said, but for the sole purpose of fixing their mistake in making a promise. You know, there are a lot of times where we do what is wrong and we try to fix it. We'll cover it up. We'll come to an idea of this is how I'll make it right. We don't look to God's Word and confess and say we've wronged You, God, and we've wronged these people and and, and we seek your counsel, your will on how to make this right. We go off and we do it our way. And just as our way led us to the disaster, our way leads us into deeper disaster. Because of the one concubine who was murdered, thousands lay dead, but now many more in this village. And it saw to the abduction and then I would call it rape of 400 young Israelite girls who were handed over to the men of Benjamin. This because they were doing what was right in their own eyes rather than trusting God, rather than seeking what God would have them do. Whenever we try to do what is right in our own eyes, we fail. Whenever we do what is right in our own eyes, it leads us to a path that is wrong. This rash decision that they had made earlier was now a decision that led to further and further disaster. And then we come to the last part of this story. In the last part of the story, what do we find? The 400 girls for the 600 Benjamites still wasn't enough. They had to do something else. So what we find in these closing verses of this story is this. It was a festival that the people of Israel would have. And so here's their thought. We said we wouldn't give our daughters to the Benjamites, but we didn't say anything about them taking them. So we're going to have the young virgins, dance, and we're going to tell the Benjamites to hide off in the woods, and while the young Israelite girls are dancing, they can pick their favorite one, swoop in, grab her, and abduct her, and take them to be their wives. Amazing, isn't it? These are the depths that people will sink to when they don't allow the revelation of God to guide their conduct. When we look and we say, I'll do what's right in my own eyes, I will see to things happening the way I see fit, the way I think it should happen. When we don't have the Word of God, the revelation of God to guide us, we can fall in to these kinds of sinful behavior patterns. And that's exactly what happened in all of Israel. Never mind The terror of these girls as they're being abducted. Never mind the hurt that it caused the families who lost their daughters in this abduction. We're going to cover our sin, we're going to make it right in our own eyes. And as a result, what we find is one of the darkest periods of Israel's history. It's awful. It's terrible. That's what happens. But then, look at this closing verse. In all of the book of Judges, it says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What a fitting conclusion for the book of Judges. But I think we need to Think past this a little bit. What happens when Israel does finally get kings? The kings lead them into even deeper darkness, right? Because they were the wrong kinds of kings. There was authority, but not an authority that looked to God. And you know what happened as a result? Israel went spiraling away from God into deeper idolatry, into greater sin. I would submit to you, according to God's Word, no king will set people on the right path except the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the king that all Israel awaited. And he's the king who delivers us from our wickedness and from our sin. Throughout Judges, we saw judges who were deliverers. They were pictures of the coming ultimate deliverer. The judges of the book of Judges were flawed individuals, and we saw a progression from relatively decent judges to Samson, who was anything but decent. We need a savior, we need a king to deliver us from doing what's right in our own eyes. And what I find in scripture is this, Jesus is the ultimate savior. He saves us from our sin, he doesn't cover it up, he doesn't lead us into greater sin, he changes us, he transforms us, he makes us new people because as the powerful Savior, He delivers us from sin. He's also our Lord and our King. He is the one that we come under His authority, and we find purpose and life, and we find deliverance from living according to our own eyes. He guides us and directs us as no human king can. So my encouragement to you this morning is this. Don't operate on the level of what's right in your own eyes. Never, ever, ever seek to be the authority to yourself. The examples that we find here in Judges could have modern examples as well of people who, in seeking to do their own thing, what is right in their own eyes, have made terrible disasters of their lives and the lives of others. It is only through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, trusting Him, the Savior, the King, that you can find a life that has true direction, true purpose, and a true relationship with God the Father. I guess the question we should all ask ourselves is this. Do I operate from the perspective of I'll do what's right in my own eyes? Or do I submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Have I found Him as my Savior to deliver me from such sin and wickedness? All of us, when we operate from our own eyes, will fall into that sin and wickedness. It's only by turning to Jesus by faith and trusting the sacrifice that we are soon to remember in the Lord's table. The body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us, only in that do we find deliverance from doing what's right in our own eyes and operating on that level. Let's pray. Gracious God, when we look at this story, it's alarming. It just kept getting worse and worse as people were doing what they thought best rather than looking to you, O God. O God, deliver us from that. Keep us from being people that pursue what is right in our own eyes and let us yield our hearts and our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us find our path, our direction, not from what the society around us tells us or what we in our own deceitful hearts tell ourselves. But let us go to your word and let us be guided by your spirit and let us live to glorify your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.